0: Hey everybody, this is Matt Kamen, co-founder of Envision Consulting, and hopefully you're enjoying my Nonprofit on the Rocks podcast. We've got Ashley here, who's the producer, who isn't enjoying her job and isn't enjoying listening to me. And this one especially, I feel like you like cut out half of what I said, right? Uh,
1: Matt, if I hadn't done that, like it already has an explicit rating for the occasional F-bomb that gets dropped, but this one... You know, you and Wendy did not hold back. The point is, I didn't want to steal from your tell-all book. Mm-hmm. That's really what it is. There's something about teasing the audience, and then there's leaving too much out there, you I'm know? i
0: you, the, the part that you took out, which was my favorite part of the whole thing, that you took it out, was me talking about being a platinum gay. <laughs> so I guess what's going to end up happening is that at another time, at another podcast, I'm going to have to re-mention the fact that I am a platinum gay, and then we'll see if people remember this conversation.
1: Matt! Please tell our audience, what is a platinum gay? You can't just leave them. No, no, hanging. no, 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 no we're
0: no. going like to leave it just like that. That's it. You're going to have
1: to go to urbandictionary.com. I'm going to have to put a link, Matt, <laughs> so that people can can look this up. Because now you've got a lot of curious people. I know. People yeah. pause the episode right now and go to our website, envisionnonprofit.com, and you will have a link. I will put a link to the Urban Dictionary so you can find out what Matt means when he calls himself a platinum gay.
0: That's right. So this is our final episode of season one, which we all know is an arbitrary number. We're just putting that out there as the end of season one. It could have, it could continue. We thought 10 was a
1: nice round number.
0: Ashley, I just want you to know, it has been a pleasure working with you. I'm really enjoying this. So I hope that everybody enjoys. This is the the final episode of season one I love my friend, Wendy Carpenter. She's amazing. I hope you enjoy her story. I hope you enjoy everything about her. Ashley, any final words of wisdom?
1: Yeah. I just want to remind everyone that you can subscribe to us. I don't know how you're listening to us now, but if it's off our website, great. But we would love it if you would subscribe and leave a review, hopefully positive, you know, wherever you get your podcasts. And also, if you know anyone that you think would make a great guest on our show, you can also contact us. We have a form you can fill out on our podcast page on our website, EnvisionNomprofit.com.
0: Cool. All right, everybody. Enjoy Wendy. Hello, Wendy Carpenter, CEO of Penny Lane. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing fine, Matt Kamen. It's always uh, good to see your face, and uh, any time I spend with you makes it a better day.
0: Oh, uh, that's amazing. Thanks for buttering me up. I just also want to tell the people who are listening that you and I are both wearing the same color, but you look spectacular and amazing. Your skin looks like porcelain. I huh. completely like shit. So I'm so happy people aren't watching this, because you look amazing.
2: <laughs> well, thank always. you. So
0: thank you. Before we start, what are you drinking tonight, for?
2: Well, you know, I'm a vodka girl. And it's not because it's low in carbs; it's not about that. But Kettle One is always my go-to, and I drink it straight. Nice. Uh, a little, a little chilled. So, yeah, that is my drink du jour. Nice. And you? What do you have? You have a whole bottle.
0: I do. I'm gonna. I'm going to drink this whole thing in a minute. But are you? You have. You have ice in there. So
2: right. Yeah. So, nice. yeah, just a little bit. I mean, you know, just to make it look like I'm not a complete alcoholic. You mm. know, I try to put in a little something. <laughs>
0: I am so impressed I can't do vodka I can do vodka straight but that it ends bad for all of us so yeah so yeah so I've got this bottle and I've been this is this pandemic I mean if people listen if people listen to other podcasts this pandemic has not not been great to my liver but this is Woodford Reserve so Philip and I my husband and I took a a trip in October totally broke the rules and went to the Kentucky Bourbon Trail and we went to Woodford Reserve and it is a gorgeous gorgeous place with really good bourbon. And so that is what I'm going to pour myself and uh, we'll take it from there.
2: And by the way, the sound effects of the gurgling down was just beautiful.
0: Thank you. Thank you. I do yeah. that I, yeah, I do that for people to, to hear it. So hopefully they join us. So cheers to you. To um, What would you like to toast to for, aside from the obvious for 2021, what would you like to toast to?
2: You know, I want to toast to good friends, good connections, and just the feeling that we're never alone because we're kind of all in this together and I want to toast you my friend Matt Kamen for always making me feel like I am the belle of the ball so thank you
0: I love that thank you cheers to you mm. Mm, it's so good so <laughs> as I keep drinking it as the show progresses again Ashley's not going to do a great job because she's not that good at it but hopefully she'll uh she'll make it <laughs> okay so what I would love to know, first off, and we'll get into Penny Lane a little bit later into the show, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, how in the world did you end up in nonprofit?
2: Well, you know, it's an interesting. I, I'm I'm a, I'm a white girl from Tucson, Arizona, and, uh, you know, probably the, the last person that uh, anyone would think would end up in a, a nonprofit that serves people that are very vulnerable and very at risk. I I, I grew up, you know, privileged. I had two parents that that loved me very much but at the age of 10 I I really suffered a huge loss in in that I always felt I was an only child I am an only child and I always felt very very special very adored not spoiled but I I felt very loved and my parents ended up having a divorce that was pretty messy and my life went from a lot of bright happiness and joy and content and safety to one of being not sure I was going to get my mom through the night. Oh. She had a, a, a breakdown and um, we had a small business. And at the age of 10, I found myself being a caretaker for my mother and trying to run a family business, you know, like a 10-year-old could and did. And also, you know, my dad who, who loved and adored me had another family. And all of a sudden I was very alone in the world. And I think that that gave me a perspective of what it feels like. And again, my my story is not anywhere near as traumatic as, as many, but I do know what it feels like to suffer. I do know what it feels like to have my heart broken. I do know what it feels like not to know where your next meal is gonna come from or who's gonna take care of you or who's gonna tuck you in. And that really built a sense of purpose and empathy for me that I had a story and that even though I'm a white girl from Tucson, doesn't mean I don't know what suffering feels like. And, you know, from there, I found myself, you know, wanting to work with people that also had suffered and felt sadness. And I was very much drawn to nonprofit.
0: How did you get through that? That's a, I didn't know that about you. How did you get past that? I and mean, how you to take care of your mom at ten? Yeah, that, that's impossible. I mean,
2: yeah, I, and it's interesting to be with a parent that says, you know, I would kill myself if it wasn't for you. You know, and and a part of you is like, okay, great. You know, at least at least I'm here and she's not going to kill herself. But at the same time, it's like, holy shit. You know, I'm it. And how did I get through that? There wasn't a choice. You know, it, it's like the kids and families we see, Matt. You know, they don't have a choice. You know, you don't get to, you don't get to opt out. You know, our our families have got to get up. They've got to make the best of their lives. So, you know, it was never really an option not to get through. Humor. You know, I always have found humor in every situation and I laughed and I could always make people laugh. And so that was always a good coping mechanism for me. Gosh, I, I was pretty stubborn too. You know, I, I would not let somebody tell me just because you're 10 you know, you can't do this. I did it. And I said to hell with you. I mean, I I really found my independence at an early age.
0: Well, you had to, you had no choice. That's crazy. I have, I mean, I have friends who, you know, whose kids just are spoiled and like just don't get it and don't need to. And I don't, I don't think that that's a bad thing at ten. But I, I say this to everybody who knows you, everybody who knows you, you're just the biggest badass. Like, like there are days I'm afraid of you, right? Like you're just so smart and so amazing in every which way. I guess this is that turned you into this, but like, you're amazing. So I do hope that you know that. Cause I can only imagine how hard it would have been to lose a dad to another family and have to take care of your mom. Right. But you really are a badass
2: You're sweet to say that. I, you know, I, I appreciate that. And I, I will tell you that there was a point in my career, probably when you and I met each other. So that's, you know, like 2013, when I was all fierce you know, I was all badass and there was no softness to me. You know, I I had, you know, and I, I don't know if this is just women in in positions of power where we, we really vacillate between wanting to be feminine, but not wanting to show that side because, you know, what are people going to think of you? And so I really was at a point for a good five, six years where I just did not show any softness. And it wasn't until I would say maybe two years ago where, you know, again, and it's interesting, tragedy always kind of brings out, you know, a different side of you. And, you know, I went through something at work that was really horrific. It just, there was a light switch that went off on me. And I'm like, you know what, I don't want to be this person that doesn't have a heart. You know, it just isn't, it doesn't feel good. And so I really switched to, to show my vulnerability and my softness a lot more. And that, to me, is what made me a true badass. Because a true badass can, she can hold her own, right? But she doesn't have to raise her voice. She doesn't have to be mean. You know, quite the contrary. For me, when I show my softness, when I show my vulnerability, that's when I have the greatest power.
0: Oh, yeah, no, no. So uh, you know Alice is my partner. and When she is calm and collected and being yelled at by a client and she just doesn't flinch and she's literally just keeps her tone and you know whatever it pisses them off even more and it's the best for me I love watching it I love watching it she'll put her like hair back in a bun and I'm like oh shit here it comes and so you're right it is really important I yeah that's my favorite thing about you so I love that I love that and being so self-aware most people in charge of nonprofits are just not self-aware so I'm very impressed by you oh thank you so I was, before this call, okay, so I'm an idiot. I, I think that, well, I don't know if you know, but I'm terrible. I, the fact that this microphone, which people can't see, I was able to set up is really impressive because I, I I can turn on my computer and that's about it. So Jonathan, who works at Envision, he he signs me in because I can't even sign into, what are we on right now? To Zoom. To? <laughs> right? um, and I was like, hey, so like, you know, you're in your early 20s, you're working for this nonprofit consulting company. What do you want to know from Wendy? Like, what should I ask her? And what he said was ask her how he could get to be her, how he at 22 can turn into a CEO of a really amazing nonprofit. So you're talking to Jonathan, who's setting up my Zoom. (laughs) What do you tell him?
2: Well, you know, like, like Jonathan, I started at 22 at Penny Lane and, you know, I started at entry level. And I had no problems starting at the entry level. I, I really feel strongly, especially in nonprofits, it's really important to learn every, every facet. And I did every job before I got into like a supervisory role. And I think that that has always given me, it's always grounded me, right? I've I've never, ever, no matter what position I was in, I never forgot what it felt like to work a 12-hour shift. And you know this, Matt, you did this, you know, working with kids that, you know, are, are cursing you out and would rather, you know, hit you than, you know, go to bed. I will never forget that experience. And and I will say that, that sometimes when I get a little high on myself and I'm feeling like, oh, I had a really good meeting and I, you know, I really just hit that out of the park. I will the next day and always go and spend time with with the kids because that's what brings me back down to earth. And they'll tell me, hey, you put on about five pounds or, you know, why are you wearing that out? You know, that lipstick does not match. You know, and they keep it real. So I, I I would always say to a Jonathan or anybody, you know, entering nonprofit, don't be afraid to start at the bottom. You know, that's where you're going to get your chops. That's where you're going to get your credibility. You know, and again, this sounds, you know, very trite, but it's true. If you do something you love, the money will come. Yeah. You know, and this is one of the things we forget in nonprofit. It's like, oh, okay, you know, I'm making, you know, minimum wage and I'm starting. I'll never, you know what, do it because at some point everything will turn. You're never going to get rich, but you're going to make enough money to have a living. I really think following your heart and following your joy in a job, the rest falls into place. You know, I would also say, you know, don't be afraid to to have mentors. But yeah, no, I, I think that, you know, learning from people, I get so much out of mentoring people, young people. I learn so much from them. Just, just you know, that fire in the belly. Remember that, Matt, when we yeah. when we started in this field, that just that fire.
0: Sorry, I don't even oh. know. I, it's like there's death <laughs> inside me now. I, there's like nothing inside anymore. Yeah, but, but it's yeah. true. When you start out, and you need that, like you said, you need to go back with your clients, with your kids, with, and just get it back. It's so intense running any organization, but especially a nonprofit. It's hard. So I don't know if you know this, and it's it's I am embarrassed to say it, but i have also always talk about it. So I agree with you that I think in order to take over a nonprofit, in order to really be good at at that, you do have to start at the bottom. I didn't. I totally lied on my resume. Not like where I couldn't back it up, but like it wasn't, it was a work of art. And this is in the 90s, so it didn't matter. You couldn't, you couldn't check. My first major job was at 26 as an executive director of a $5 million nonprofit, a $5 million homeless shelter. And, like, I totally had no right to take over, but I figured it out. And I have some really big lessons that I learned. Is there a lesson that you learned as you were moving up, whether it was supervising people? Let's talk about staff. Is there a lesson that you learned that you can go back and be like, holy crap, how did I get past that?
2: Yeah, you know, I I alluded to that situation that happened at the workplace for me, you know, about two and a half, three years ago. I, you know, and again, this goes back to being an only child and goes back to my, my childhood of taking care of my mom. I perfected how to be perfect. I did such a damn good job of compliance, right? And, you know, people would, you know, auditor controller would come through or Department of Children and Family Services. You know, I don't care who came through. We had glowing audits. And I became pretty high on my hype on that in that, you know, as long as the audits looked good, that was demonstrating that I was good, right? That I was perfect. And what I missed was the heart. And so what resulted in that was, you know, a really bad situation at at one of our group homes where um, a kid became very, very sick. She, um, you know, was one of these kids who would often say she was sick because she didn't want to go to school or say she was sick because she you know, needed attention and love. And so after a while, the staff just started ignoring, you know, the, the, the behavior. Well, you know, one time she's really sick and she's got meningitis and almost dies, you know, and you go back and you look at the situation. Oh boy, we were doing head checks every 15 minutes. You know, we were doing everything on paper the way we were, but we missed the heart. Mm. We missed the soul of seeing a kid, for whatever reason needing something from the adults that were there to take care of her. And, you know, it's really easy for a CEO to sit around and blame the staff that did that, but it started with me, Hmm. you know, that, that's what I was championing, right. Was do your paperwork, you know, make, make sure all your audits look good. And I missed, I missed the heart and the soul. So, you know, for me, that's, that's been, that's been the biggest lesson is Gosh, if you are loving and caring and doing the very best you can, that is a hell of a lot more important, whether you get your notes in on time. So now that is that that's really what I preach wow. is, you know what you, you, maybe you screwed up, but where was your intention and where was your heart? And let's, 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 let's focus on that.
0: I love that story. I love that story. I wish more CEOs were like you because they're not. I remember I, I was, I was running a homeless shelter and my cook was an alcoholic and he was homeless and he kept falling off the wagon. Um, and I remember like, so we, we were closed during the day and that's when we had a a soup kitchen as well. So he was, he was cooking. Um, and we let, I I don't know. I was going shopping. I was doing whatever I was doing. I came back and he was passed out on a bench outside of our shelter, completely wasted, like passed out and everything was on the kitchen and there was a small fire that started. And thank God. God I got there when I did because if I didn't, right, it would have burned down. So I was obviously furious and and had no heart and fired him, but on the spot, which, you know, only put him back into being homeless because with our job, he was able to pay for an apartment. But what I remember really, really clearly was that when I called him into my office to, to let him go, he was high as well. And I closed the door. So I was stuck Ah. And he, he came, like, actually came to attack me and I had to go outside the window. So, like, my biggest memory about all of that is, like you said, think about it, leave with your heart, don't necessarily fire somebody if they're having, you know, who's homeless. But also protect yourself if you're going to fire somebody. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, if you're in an office <laughs> and there's a door, don't close it. And if you do, you be next to that door. because <laughs> will be? Like, if I didn't have the window be behind me, it would have. So that. <laughs> that's my memory for anybody listening, when you fire somebody, don't be on the other side of the door. There you go. That's my memory. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. So I want to talk a little bit about Penny Lane because I think that people should know about what you do. I mean, it's an amazing organization. We know you because we, our very first client, when we started this company, you acquired. So we really got to work very closely with you and know you really well. And you are an incredible organization. So can you tell us a little bit about Penny Lane?
2: Sure. So Penny Lane's been around over 50 years. Obviously, the the name Penny Lane, at least for people of our genre and on our our age group, do remember the Beatles. It's amazing how I'd be interested if Jonathan knows who the the Beatles are.
0: Jonathan has no idea who the Beatles are. By the (laughs) way, what I was about to say to you was, wait, who? I don't know. I'm not <laughs> <into that. laughs> I
2: don't know it's crazy. People don't even know who the Beatles are anymore. But uh, yeah, but the, that was really our founder. She was very much a, in the '60s, a, an activist and a Latina who just kind of was a was a feminist even before that word had any kind of cachet. And she really had a dream of having a group home for girls. She has always, you know, being a feminist, really believed in in women not getting a fair shake, and so she worked briefly for the probation department, which probably was not a good idea for her or the probation department. And she kind of left there abruptly because she did not see that any of the services were really catering towards young women. And so she started Penny Lane in in the San Fernando Valley as a six bed group home for girls. And over the years, we have really grown to, you know, 60, it's hard to even say this $60 million organization. And we serve about 3,000 kids and families every single day in a variety of ways you know the, the one thing um, our board and our founder really had the vision for is to look at the individual and look at the kids look at the families and what do they need so instead of just building out group homes for the 50 years we really expanded into housing you know affordable housing that's supportive so it's not just taking somebody off the street and giving them a, a place to live but you know, how can we keep you off the street? What are, are there mental health needs? Are there substance abuse needs? Is there domestic violence? I'm kind of really, you know, dealing with the whole person and not just that they're homeless, right? That label. You know, mental health has is, is always been kind of a cornerstone for us. We've been doing that probably as long as group homes. And again, in a very holistic way, you know, it's not just the diagnosis and the symptoms, right? Anybody can do that. It's more of what what is your purpose and why are you here? What's your spirituality? I mean, we go there. You know, a lot of organizations don't want to touch on religion, but we are really finding that you start talking about what people believe in and why they're here and drawing purpose to that. And all of a sudden you have a conversation instead of you're schizophrenic and you need this medication. I love that. Uh, we've done a lot with um, the LGBTQ, which we're really proud of. We started doing that close to 20 years ago before it was cool. So we do a lot with trans a lot of our housing is geared towards transgender, and so are our group homes. We do a, 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 quite a few adoptions. Um, we do a lot of recruiting with gay and lesbian couples and singles. The other thing that we've been doing for quite a while now, too, are in-home services. So this idea of, okay, family, you, you are bad, and so we're going to take you, your kid away and then think you're going to get better, and then we'll give you your kid back. Uh, you know, that's not really our focus and, and nor is it successful. I mean, I could have been taken away from my mom, you know, things, things were pretty bad in my house and yet she would have killed herself and I probably wouldn't have made it either, but, you know, thank God we were able to stay together. And so we believe very strongly in that, you know, what can we do? How can we get into your home and make your life a little bit easier so that you can focus on taking care of your kid?
0: So it's, it's so interesting with COVID. Like, you know, I have a lot of friends who are like, how, you know, are you happy that you don't have kids? I have to tell you something. I am might be the selfish, call me selfish, I don't care. I'm so happy I don't have children right now. First of all, I can't imagine having them, period. But also like, you know, you can't leave the house and they can't go to school. So like I, don't like, I don't like anybody enough to see them all day long, every day. I mean, I don't even like my husband enough. I'm so happy that he's out of the house right now. Like he's at work right now. So he's not listening to this. He doesn't listen to this. He won't ever hear that. He doesn't well, care. I think you
2: bring up a, a really good point. Matt, yeah, And that, you know, something that's become very clear to me, too, since with COVID, you know, there's always something good that comes out of these challenging times. But, you know, we were so focused in the beginning of the pandemic on our kids and families and, oh, my God, can we get them food and can we cover their rent? You know, it, it took me about a month into the pandemic to realize, holy shit. My staff are suffering as yeah. much as my kids and family. And it's exactly what you said. You know, yeah. here are these therapists, you know, trying to do, you know, telehealth. And they're trying to homeschool over here, you know, with the virtual education. I mean, it's just crazy what people have been expected to do during this time. And, by the way, have really risen to the occasion and done it.
0: I, can you imagine if this had happened in our childhood? If, like, if COVID had happened, and we didn't, there was nothing online. So, like, I mean... I think I would have had the best time ever because I just would have played all day. I mean, you wouldn't have known it. You wouldn't have ever, had, there's no school. Like how wouldn't right. would have happened, right? Like I would have happened, but like, I feel so bad for my, for my nephews and nieces and like my friends' kids because they've lost a year and I don't, I don't know how they get it back. And a lot of my friends aren't letting their kids play with any of their friends, which I understand, but I mean, I've certainly played with my friends. So I don't know how, I don't know how kids are. I don't know how kids are getting by. It's crazy to me.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's like we're we're gonna get through the health issues, right? We're gonna get a vaccine. We're gonna figure that all out. But but the social impact that this is gonna have for generations, I think, is going to be more real than some of the health concerns.
0: A thousand percent. So I'm curious, right? Like running a nonprofit, I think a lot of people are like, oh, being a CEO of a nonprofit is like amazing and wonderful. And like, it's the best thing and everybody wants it. It's pretty lonely at the top. You know, it sucks. And you got to deal with the board, which listen, boards of directors can be a real pain in the ass and staff and volunteers and clients and auditors. And you have to raise money and you have to make sure the budget, I'm sorry, I'm just giving myself heebie-jeebies thinking about <laughs> me. I'm so happy I'm not an executive director anymore, but like work-life balance, right? What have you been doing during COVID, especially to not do work, to not think about work? Like what makes you happy? What are you doing on the side?
2: Well, I have a dog that I love to death. You know, she keeps it real for me too cuz she doesn't care who I am. If I don't take her out for a walk, she's going to, you know, take a take a big old poopy in the house. So <laughs> she 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 keeps me pretty down to earth. You know, being an only child, I have learned, you know, how to kind of self-soothe and be on my own. And so I'm I'm really good at that almost to my own detriment because then I I have really found myself completely isolating. Yeah you know, and that's not healthy either. So, you know, I, I have a good network of, of friends and a lot of, you know, the old fashioned phone calls do that. I I really just cannot do the zoom happy hours and all that stuff anymore. I mean, that was cool in the beginning, but now it's like, I I don't, I don't want to look at myself. And and, and frankly, I don't want to look at you right now. You know, know, it's like, can we just have an old fashioned phone conversation? So a lot of those I love meditation. You know, I'm a pretty spiritual person. So I, I do a lot of that kind of a thing. And writing. I love to write. Just, you know, putting down my kind of reflections and stuff in writing. So, but yeah, no no joke. It's been hard.
0: In terms of being a CEO of a nonprofit, what is your least favorite part of that job?
2: Fundraising for me is like the worst. And it's not that I, I have a problem talking about you know, what we do and believing in what we do. I just, I just have a hard time saying, give me money. You know, I just, I don't know if it's, if it's embarrassment or being humble, but I really have a hard time. I just feel like people should want to give, you know, that people should want to. So I have a really hard time with the fundraising piece. I can tell the story. I can do all that. It's just, it's just the last piece of, you know, can I have a hundred dollars? You know, that, that just seems awkward for me.
0: Interesting to me because I'd give you money in a heartbeat. So like, you just seem like, cause you care so much about the, about your mission. Like, and I do think that is the hardest thing about being in charge. You have to fundraise. So I understand. So that's your least favorite part fundraising.
2: That, that is. And I, and I have a hard time sealing the deal. <laughs> in fundraising, not not everything, but in fundraising, I have a hard time sealing the deal. I can I can do everything. I can do the tour and talk about it, but when I turn around and say, "Can I have five thousand dollars?" I ju- it just feels maybe it's a fear of rejection or no, or I I don't know. But I have a really hard time sealing the deal.
0: I get it? Fundraising is tough. Actually, I, I should probably do some kind of podcast on fundraising. It's tough. And like, you're right. There's a fear of rejection. But I think if you enjoy fundraising, you know that you're just going to get a lot of no's and that's just part of the deal. But it just means that you ask for too much and you can go back down again. So what is your favorite part about being a CEO?
2: Any organization is, is a reflection of its leader, right? When, when I hear these CEOs talk about how everything's going wrong at their organization, you know, there, there's a part of me that wants to say, hey, you know, take a step back and, and look at how your world is. Yikes. You know, I I really do think that if your agency is, is going well, you need to look at what you're doing right. And so I think for me, you know, and as I mentioned, you know, just kind of really kind of being in touch with my heart and, and really trying to be more heart centered. It is really fun to. To be that way at work, you know, and I I wrote up um, kind of a a mission statement, if you will. My staff call it my manifesto, but, you know, no one's bombing anybody over it. But it, it really does talk about how we treat each other and why we treat each other that way. It's really nice to be able to share a piece of yourself with your organization and see people just intuitively, because it feels right to them, take that on and you see it blossoming you know it's like laying the seeds and then you know two weeks later you you hear somebody saying thank you and it's good to see you and how are you and it it just and I, it it's just very nice to be able to see how an agency can become the best parts of you
0: it's interesting that you would say that a nonprofit is a reflection of the ceo and i love that so there's a ceo you and I know that I won't name. But my favorite thing about being a consultant is that we deal with a lot of nonprofits and we deal with a lot of good people and a lot of assholes. And my favorite story is this one CEO who we, I don't know, we sent like a proposal to him or whatever. We made one mistake and he got so pissed. He was like, I don't want to hire you guys because you made a mistake and you should be perfect, basically. And then over the last few weeks, he sent out like four emails that were completely wrong and had to like take them back and resend them and take them back and resend them. And, you know, at the end of the day, his organization is not so strong. So you are correct. People, nonprofits are a reflection of the people in charge. And I completely agree. If they're falling apart, there's probably a reason for that. If you could do anything else besides being, an, I mean, you've been at this organization your whole life. Then, if you started at 22, you've been there your whole life. I mean, whatever. You had, you had, you had a life before that starting at 10. But if you, <laughs> if you could do anything else, forget nonprofit, anything else, what would you do? While well, I pour I myself, by the way, some more booze.
2: I think I would be a psychic. Really? I think th- I think that would be so much fun is to, you know, I, I just I am mesmerized by these people that are talking to to dead loved ones on the other side. And they're coming back and saying, you know, things that really change people's lives. Like, you know what, your mom really is not that mad at you because, you know, you you, you know, you didn't do something right. Or, you know, your dad has forgiven you for what you did or whatever. I just think that that is so powerful. I would love to be able to be like a psychic.
0: Can you talk to dead people?
2: I think people can talk to dead people. I can't, I would love that. But, you know, I think that, you know, there's, I mean, I, if they're to be believed and I, i choose to believe them <laughs> that they are, you know, that they are tapping into to the, to the dead loved ones and are, and are, you know, revealing to them about what their dead loved ones are thinking or why they died or, just somehow connecting those worlds, I just think is so powerful.
0: Oh my God, that would be so cool. I have, I have seen a dead person before and I have really? felt things before, but like, I wish I could talk to dead people. I cannot, but I love that. I'd totally be a psychic too, if I could. Yeah. So, you, have, so you, would, you would say you'd be a psychic, but you have zero psychic abilities is what you're saying.
2: Well, I think I'm pretty intuitive. I mean, I think anybody that is being really real with themselves and you sit with yourself, you know, I truly believe that, that most of the answers that we seek are within us. We just don't necessarily want to see those shadows and, and really feel those feelings. So, you know, I would say that I, I have that ability, but I think everybody has that ability. But yeah, talking to dead people, how cool uh, would that be?
0: Oh my God, it would be so cool. I would love it. I really would. I, I mean, I, I think I woke up once I, I woke up once in the middle of the night and I looked over and there was totally a dead, like a spirit hanging Ooh. out of my bed. And I remember that and I was like, I'm just going to go right back to bed again. And I did and he was gone. Were, uh, were you, did you get scared? No, uh, no, because I want, like, I know my house was haunted i don't know if it still is but it definitely was haunted i want to be able to see i know it's a guy too i want to be able to see him like i want to be able to talk to him and maybe that makes me weird but no not
2: at all i think that makes you very cool and they say that you know that it's truly a ghost when you don't feel afraid
0: right that there's
2: something because you're just you're connected to that energy right it's it's not it's not a bad thing
0: no this is not a bad thing but I did go to a friend's house I think actually you probably know this person I went to a friend's house and I remember I was getting a tour and then I went into one of the bedrooms and my entire body froze like I was freezing because there was like bad juju in that room and I was like I gotta get out of here and I avoided that part of the house so I can feel things like that yeah like I would love you know it's funny there's a woman in Alley Katz that is her name, Allie Katz. So I guess at some point, if I get sponsored, Allie should sponsor me. Married <laughs> she married into that name. That is not her original name. She is a pet psychic. What? Um, yep. And Philip actually like paid for a session and it was, I mean, come on. But it was very interesting. She told us some things about our dog, Roxy, that, you know, whether or not they're true, it made me feel good.
2: I yeah. love that. What did, they, what, did, what did she tell you about Roxy?
0: Oh my God, my dog is such a cat. My dog has no desire to be with us. Like I'm now, I've been home for the last nine months, right? In the entire nine months that I've been home, she's probably come out to hang out with me in this room like three times. She wants nothing to do with us. But what Ali said was, yes, your dog is an introvert. Yes, she doesn't want to hang out with you. No, she doesn't want to go into your bedroom. She doesn't. But she likes to know that you're around and she wants to make sure that you know that she cares about you and loves you and is protecting your house. But she doesn't necessarily need to be around you. I was like, okay, cool cool
2: yeah as, as long as you know you're not being a bad pet parent in any I mean, way
0: she didn't tell us that we're not
2: being a bad pet parent
0: <laughs> but those people who who have met my dog my dog does not care at all to be around us like at all she's never around us but whatever alley cats told us that that's just who she is but that she loves and cares for us and she knew that we didn't tell her that so i, I believe
2: that funny. i totally believe that i really do
0: yeah and by the way, her last name is not C A T S, but it's K A T Z. <laughs> and she lives in the Valley in LA. So if anybody wants to call her, just let them know. So she could actually go onto this website and at least give my show like two stars, maybe three stars. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's worth three stars. By the way, just so everybody knows, Wendy has not listened to any of the shows. She doesn't even know what she signed up for. She hasn't listened. And it's not like emails haven't gone out. It's not like she hasn't. Yet. <laughs> at don't
2: least I showed up me. with my vodka. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Right. Okay. So uh, I want to ask you just a few lightning questions that I think are really fun. It's COVID. And unfortunately, we are back in a crazy, crazy time where we can't go out. But when you could go out, if tonight were your final, 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 final meal, period, what would you go and have? What would make you happy?
2: I would probably go to Tam O'Shanter's and I would order the California cut medium rare with raw horseradish.
0: I love that. Tamil I haven't heard about that place. Are they still open? They're open, yeah, right? Yeah,
2: they're open. Yeah. They still have the, you know, the barmaids and their full tartans. And yeah, that's a great place.
0: You know what? When this is over, when this plague is over, you and I are going there because I can do that. I can eat that. And I love their buffet. I can I can rock that place. Okay. And here's one I stole from another, another podcast. So I've only listened to two podcasts in my life because I think they're terrible. So <laughs> if people are listening to this, you know, God bless. If you could steal one piece of art or artifact or whatever from any museum in the world, what would it be?
2: Hmm. You know, the statue of David there, there's nothing wrong with what's, what's hanging there. And I mean, I, I mean, would even I mean, go. What? I mean, it's
0: not, there's, it's not, it, I don't know if it would make you happy. I'm just saying, I don't know if it'd make you happy.
2: I, it may, it may <laughs> add something to my life. I mean, I think I'd even go to Vegas and take the one. Isn't that in Caesars? I think I'd even go and take the, the, the replica yeah I really dig that statue, yeah oh. I'd do that. I would do that, and I you know then I wouldn't re- need a real man. I could have just my statue <laughs> that would be sitting there and just watching me be the center of attention right It would be perfect oh, for
0: me. amazing that's absolutely <laughs> amazing. I love everything about that when when <laughs> I went to before you know cameras like when you actually had film, I remember I went to see David. what is it? It's in a church, right it's in a church or a museum I'm trying to remember
2: I, yeah, I just it's know it's Florence.
0: It's somewhere <laughs> yeah. in Florence. Yeah, I do I guess. like it's in something in Florence. I don't know, somewhere. I think it's a church, but it could be its own museum. And it's like in this room, it's a round room. And you weren't allowed to take pictures because back, you know, back then it was Flash and all that. Anyway, so I totally took a picture of his front. Everybody took a picture of the back. I went straight to the front. And um, I like any good gay guy. And uh, <laughs> I still have that, you know, and I got to go find that. I'm going to find that picture when we're done. I'm going to text it to you. Oh, no, please um, do. I still have that. And, you know, like back then it was so much more fun when you were taking pictures because like of the role, How many pictures were on a roll? Were they like 24
2: or something? Or was it
0: 24? I felt like it was like a weird number. Could have been. Whatever it was, you were like always like you went to Thrifties or right or whatever, and you were so excited to get it. And it was like one or two were good and the rest were all terrible. Yeah. So but I remember that one. And I was very excited about that one. Yeah. So (laughs) uh, there you go. That's something about me, Wendy. You didn't know. I'm trying to think, you know, I've had so many interesting answers to this question. I just think it's a cool question. And like I said, I totally stole it from another podcast, but we've had some really interesting questions about that one. And finally, when you can fly again and go somewhere out of this country again, although I think you can go to Croatia and I think you can go to Mexico. But, and by the way, Titi, you're going to the airport tonight. You can go anywhere in the world. You don't have to wear a mask. Where do you go?
2: I'm going to Scotland and I'm going to go on a pilgrimage. There is a Buddhist island. And I'm going to go and I'm going to contemplate and I'm going to make sure that this whole year, this whole pandemic was for naught. And I'm going to reflect on lessons learned and how I can better myself and better my agency.
0: Ugh, you're such a good person. You're so annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going
2: to be drinking in first class, though, if that makes sense. All right, you feel fine. Good. As long as
0: you're drinking <laughs> in first class, then that's fine. But God, such a good person. Always trying to better yourself. Here I am just like starting a podcast <laughs> drinking and talking about penises and uh, being platinum, <laughs> a platinum gay. So, uh, is there anything, Wendy, any, any like outgoing thoughts or anything that you want to share with? audience that who hopefully has stayed with us. Anything, you know, aside from Ashley, anything that you want to share with our listeners?
2: You know, I just want to thank you, Matt. You know, it just feels good to connect with you. You and I have always been kind of kindred spirits. And I think it's because we've always kind of cared about youth in particular, right? The the teenagers that tell you to go F yourself without even, and, and we love that. I've just really enjoyed my time talking to you and kind of reconnecting with what's important. So I just want to say thank you. And I enjoyed my vodka and I want to do it again soon. And I promise I'll listen to podcasts.
0: Yeah. You better listen to one because <laughs> you didn't even know what you were walking into. And I appreciate that. By the way, I do have one question, one follow-up question. Foster youth is one of those areas that are just, I mean, you really can make a huge impact on somebody's life and change the trajectory of their life, which is hard for me to say that word because I've been drinking. You know, again, there's so many nonprofits and so many missions, but why foster youth? Why should we give to foster youth?
2: Because they're the inspiration. I mean, these are kids who, against all odds, still get up in the morning. I mean, you, you hear these stories of what they've endured, and yet they still have fight in them. I mean, we can all learn. I mean, they are the true healers. You know, you spend an hour with a kid, listen to their story, listen to still that they have hopes and dreams and they still believe. Dude, that's everything. That's everything.
0: I love it. I love it. All right. Well, hopefully those of you who are listening, Penny Lane is a phenomenal nonprofit, huge Wendy is badass, badass. <laughs> I hope you've learned that. And if you are so inclined to go to their website, make a donation or just look at Wendy's picture. I mean, I'm staring at her right <laughs> now and that ring light's spectacular. <laughs> um, and yeah, so thank you, Wendy, so much for joining us today. And I toast to a 2021 where you are in Scotland and you are making yourself a better person. And I am in France just drinking and eating and not making myself a better person. <laughs> <Here's> <laughs>
2: thank a- you, Matt. Hey Ashley. Hey Matt.
1: Before we get started on anything else, uh-huh. the people want to know. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Burning question: Are you doing a dry march?
0: <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I want to. I, I want everybody to know that I went into March really, really believing that I was a strong person, really hoping that I could do what I talked about doing. But on March first which is what, the very first day of March, yeah? On March 1st. <laughs>
1: that's how it how it goes, yes?
0: I'm asking. Well, don't forget, February was a short month. So in a sense, like it's unfair that March was the month that I chose because February <laughs> had three less days. So it was three <laughs> less days to drink, right? But March 1st, I want everybody to know I failed. March 2nd, I failed. March 3rd, I'm about to go pour myself a drink when I'm done. So I'm going to just tell you goals, goals, hashtag goals. Hashtag oh.
1: Matt, I think the fact that you aren't sure if March first is the first day. I mean, <laughs> you know, you're right though. It is confusing. The the end of February is confusing. Generally the beginning of months, though, starting with one is is less confusing. I
0: mean, I mean, listen, listen, <laughs> listen. February sure
1: is you're the not show. drunk right now.
0: <laughs> anyway on that note this is our final episode as we said of season one which hopefully does it mean we're going to have a season two do you think people are going to want to listen or are we done should we just call it a day and, walk, and bow out gracefully or not gracefully is my case but what do you think
1: first of all I need a tissue to just sort of like this is the end of an era in a way the end of season one do right. so I think there's going to be a season two I sure hope so since we arbitrarily just ended season one after 10 episodes, I mean, I, I hope people stick around. They're not like, uh, you know, it's like Bridgerton. They're like, I don't really care about the other siblings. I'm out. I mean, I hope with this one, you know, cause that's the thing with Bridgerton, right? Is that apparently each season focuses one of, on one of the eight siblings.
0: Oh no, everybody's watching Bridgerton for the hot guys. That's the only reason why people are watching it. I think if they weren't hot guys in that show, Nobody would be watching it, right? I know,
1: is they've got to find a way to get the Duke of Hastings shirtless in all future seasons. I don't know how they're going to do that, focusing on the other siblings, but as long as that happens, they're golden.
0: They'll figure it out. They'll figure it out. So (laughs) yes, totally arbitrary number, but we feel like 10 episodes is fair for a season. And as long as you're confident that we can continue, only if you're confident that we can continue. I know you want a job, but you're only making a (laughs) quarter an hour anyway. (laughs)
1: We are like a fine wine, Matt,
0: Mm -hmm. you and
1: me and nonprofit on the rocks. And it's fitting that I would compare us to an alcohol given our particular subject matter. No, I think, I think we are getting better with each episode and we're finding our groove. And I think season two is
0: when it really picks up steam. I don't think that's very nice for the eight people that we were interviewing for in season one, but hopefully, they're not listening anyway. So they don't know any better. So, all right. Well, season two, I'm very excited about it. We've got some really amazing people that we've already interviewed, actually. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So actually, I hope you have a phenomenal rest of the week and drink heavily because you're going to need it for the next 10 episodes.
1: Thanks, Matt. And one more time, if you haven't already, please subscribe and look us up at envisionnonprofit.com and let us know how you think we're doing.
0: All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening.